Ladies and gentlemen, hello, hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Sherm in the Booth. Ooh, ooh. My name is Sherm. You guys are some true Chicagoans for coming out in January. It's snowing outside, it's freezing, and you're at the f***ing club at 1 a.m. Boys with the bass, yeah, boys, boys, bass. Who am I talking to right now? You're famous. <laughs> free food, free drinks, music. Girls, let's go. Do you like it? Cool. If you don't, goodbye. <laughs> I'm missing the most important part. Boys in the face, yes. We should throw like a crazy like bar mitzvah party. This, this is crazy. Send me stems. I finished it. <laughs> hey, what's up, guys? How is everyone doing? Just wait, you know it kicks in like three to five seconds afterward. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, yo, what's up everyone and welcome back to another brand new episode of Sherm in the Booth. I'm, of course, your host, Sherm, and today is Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022, and this is episode 211-211. You guys know how much I love interviewing people who are more behind the scenes, and today we have a very special guest, dancing astronaut's new editor-in-chief, Rachel Narozniak. This one has been a long time coming, and it's truly one of my favorite interviews ever. She's such a genuine, smart, and talented individual who makes massive contributions to the dance music industry in so many ways. In episode 211, we got it all in and started by talking about her journey into dance music. Rachel was born and raised in New Jersey and has always had a strong connection with music. Her parents were major influences early on, and she eventually discovered dance music and fell in love immediately. Her first show was Cascade. Now that has got to be one of the best artists to show you what electronic music is all about. She started writing for Crust Nation in 2016 and decided to fully pursue dance music journalism. The rest is history. And of course, we talked about Dancing Astronaut. Rachel has been at DA since 2017 and has worked her way to become the editor-in-chief. She's released over 2,200 unique pieces spread across news stories, album track and product reviews, Q&As, original features, and more. We went deep on how DA works and its vital role in dance music. DA is constantly trying to give upcoming artists a platform for their story and music to be heard. I have so much respect for her and the whole team. They are truly unique and have such a massive influence on the scene as a whole. We also had a great conversation on the digital age of journalism. Rachel and I discussed the parallels of being a DJ and a journalist in today's age. We shared stories and experiences on how much has changed over the years, but how important it is to remember the foundations of what our industry is built on, authenticity. Rachel shared some of her perspectives on the future of journalism and how she thinks the investigative approach is definitely going to be making a return purely because on how the digital age supports the ability to cover special stories. This was a really interesting portion of the interview. Rachel, aka the queen of adjectives, deserves a lot of recognition. This is someone that has spent countless hours researching, writing, creating, and releasing truly special pieces of content. She gives back to dance music what it gives to her tenfold, and I really respect that. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show, and I cannot wait to meet you in person one day soon. Now let us get into it right now so you guys can hear her story for yourselves. This is episode 211 with Rachel Narozniak. Ladies and gentlemen, hello, hello, and welcome to a very, very, very special episode of Sherman the Booth. You guys know how much I love interviewing people behind the scenes, and we have got a very special and impactful and important person. She goes by the name of Rachel Narozniak, managing editor of Dancing Astronaut, and so much more. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. 
Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everybody. It is a pleasure. Um, we've been catching up and getting to know each other for like 30 minutes, by the way, before this, guys. So the conversation is hot, flowing. We're ready to rock. This is going to be an amazing interview. We are warmed up and ready to go. <laughs> yes, we are. Now, I always kick the interviews off with a special question. And through my 60-minute style research process, just kidding, I make it fun for myself. <laughs> I saw that you love Zed and Cascade, which probably isn't that hard to find out about you, is it? That is probably like anybody could probably procure that information. <laughs> I mean, but that's like my brand, right? Zed Stan, Cascade Stan. So yep, yep. for doing the homework. I love that. Please excuse the sirens here in Chicago. That's how you know you're in Chicago any time of the day, any time of the night. But anyway, so I'm in Chicago. Like I just said, Cascade is a totem here. For so many different reasons, Zed, in my opinion, like you, is one of the reasons I fell in love with dance music. I mean, who doesn't go crazy at Clarity or Spectrum? I mean, chills every time. I've got to know, take me back to the first time that you saw them. Do you remember? I mean, how incredible was that? Yes. So actually, Cascade, believe it or not, was the absolute first live show I ever saw. Like, oh, there yeah. we go. My first like EDM experience, and I know some people hate the term EDM, but I just feel like that was really representative of what it was at the time. Yeah. yeah. I was a junior in college and my friend was like, come on, let's go see Cascade at like one of the piers in New York. And like, you know, the piers, like they oh, are yeah. just terrible sound quality. People are running around crazy. <laughs> it was such a like, it was such an incredible experience. And I had a fake ticket, actually, believe it or not. I bought a ticket like secondhand. What's up with but, New York and the fake tickets? I know. So not the best experience. Definitely traumatized me a little bit for like secondhand ticket sales moving forward. But once I got in there, I was like, this is incredible. And Pacha was still around in New York at the time. So my friend's like, come on, like, let's go to Pacha. And I was like, you know, I'm kind of tired. Like, this is my first experience. Like, but okay, let's do it. So we go and like, we are literally like five feet from Cascade. And I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit like, okay, I'm ready to go home whenever you are. Like I was tired, you know? For sure. I get that. Yeah. Like what the, I had no idea, like the magnitude and like significance of Pacha or Cascade. And it was like very shortly before the club actually closed. So that was my <laughs> first experience. And I kind of like look back with a little bit of like fond naivete. And I'm like, what were you doing? Mm -hmm. Things you say the whole time, but Absolutely. also like put on you for like going and having that experience. <laughs> yeah. You went outside your comfort <laughs> zone a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So everything kind of evolved pretty naturally there from there. And I saw Zed for the first time at Firefly in 2015 or 2016. And it's in Baltimore. It's in Dover, Delaware, Dover, Delaware, right? Yeah. That's a little sweet spot. But we did the whole camping thing. He came on and like, I was super excited because when Clarity came out, like I would listen to that on a loop on YouTube, never seen him. And I don't know, like I've thought back to this moment a lot in the past. And I'm like, why did that strike such a chord and resonate with me to the extent that it did? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Sometimes like music just clicks with you. You identify with it. And ever since I've been like riding for him. So yes. Amazing. I mean, listen, the term EDM to me, people just need to chill, you know, right. like what this is the whole point of dance music is like in this house, we are all equal. That's what I always say too, you know, and I don't know. It, you probably, it's EDM Twitter is where we see a lot of these people like we discussed yeah, earlier. Yeah, I think, it was, I think EDM Twitter might be the reason that it has a little bit of a bad name, but I don't know from a language standpoint, I think it's interesting because like it now reflect like that term just encompasses like a total like feeling of a certain period of time, like mm -hmm. a cultural movement. So while yeah. some people don't like it, I think it has real connotative value. 
Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think it, it honestly puts, you know, a sign in the whole timeline of music in general, right? Like mm -hmm. we start all the way at the beginning and then we get to <clears throat> when Chicago house music was founded, right? And then you go on to techno and then progressive and stuff. EDM was 2009, 2011, and then a little bit after that. And that was a very, very important timestamp for American dance music um, mm -hmm. in general. And I mean, that's when I fell in love with it. The first show I went to, Avicii, 2011, he just released Levels. How lucky am I, right? Like, same to you. Yeah, I'm sorry. What, what an incredible first show, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. I could, like, couldn't wow. Believe it. That's yeah. a wonderful experience. It was amazing. It was like in a field in outside Bloomington, Indiana. We took like school buses out there. I was a freshman in college. I think it was like one of the first times I was drunk in college too. And <laughs> it was just the energy of the crowd. I have this picture that I took of him. You know, when you're first going to shows, you decide to take pictures and videos of everything. Everything. Why? Why? I I mean, literally, I don't know why. And like years ago, I was like, on a plane, you know, when you're on airplane mode and you're like, I can't watch any more movies. Came across this video and it was just incredible. I felt like I went back into that moment and I feel like only with EDM, honestly, is when you can really go back in time with stuff like that. Cause house is, you know, it's my favorite music. It's what I produce, but like, it's hard to get all those memorable moments when it's like, I remember him dropping levels and people around me going crazy and my fiance on my shoulders and us like, woo, we're alive, baby. You know, like it's a moment in time. Absolutely. No. And also too, it's like, especially with like, you know, what has happened in the time since like shows going dark for a period of time with COVID Tim's unfortunate passing, like yeah. it really makes you grateful that you chose to document those experiences because it takes you right yeah. back in that moment. Yeah. And it's one of those things that like memory, like a memory like that's indelible. You'll never forget it, but it's a nice little like souvenir to have when you want to look at something tangible from it. Yes. Gosh, this girl and the adjectives and descriptions. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you. Good Lord. I mean, I got like five good words. I'm already used them all. I think <laughs> use them again, use them again. I'll keep using what them again. I'll keep using them again. I have thesaurus.com actually open here. You just can't tell. I have a little secret keyboard. <laughs> a little scroll, you know? <laughs> okay. Oh man. Anyway, thanks for sharing that. I'm, I'm so happy that Zed and Cascade were your intro and uh, specifically Cascade, who is a timeless artist in my opinion. And um, that's just so special here. So thanks for sharing. Of course. I think that was a great opening question. I haven't thought about that in a minute. So for sure. I mean, like I said to you, uh, I was like, you asked me like, what type of set or during the day or during the night would I like to see as a fan and as a DJ? And I told you as a DJ, I like to keep myself entertained, right? Like I'm 211 episodes deep with you right now. Like, dude, I can't do the same song and dance anymore. Like I want to start this shit off strong. I want to have fun the whole conversation. I want to ask questions that you've never been asked before. And we're going to do that today. Ooh, okay. You have my attention. <laughs> I know. And wow, I'm going to start with the most original question ever. Where are you originally from? <laughs> oh, I am New Jersey born. I've been here pretty much my whole life. Woo! So. Shout out Jersey. Shout out Jersey. Love that. New Jersey. You're in Northern New Jersey. You're in Hoboken now. Where were you actually born in Jersey? So I was born in actually Trenton, New Jersey. Right. Right. So pretty like far South from Hoboken where I currently reside. Mm -hmm. That is like, is that a cross from Philadelphia? I'm trying to remember where Trenton is. You know what? I was never one for geography. <laughs> so I'll just preface my answer by saying that. 
but I think so. It sounds good. I'm going to go with it. Perfect. We don't have to go deep into the actual exit and stuff like that off the yeah. Jersey Turnpike. That's okay. I won't go there. Um, okay. So South Jersey. Mm -hmm. Now East Coast has a lot of different types of influences there from over the years. Do you remember like when you first started getting into music, not even dance music, obviously you saw Cascade, that was your first one. Do you remember like what it was like growing up and when you started loving it? Yeah, you know, honestly, I used to be a very like one track mind type of person when it came to music. Like my musical interest really started with John Mayer. Like I was in the car and I was like eight or nine years old and my dad put in Room for Squares and he's like, you got to listen to this guy like John Mayer. Like he's really yeah. promising, like first studio album, you know what I mean? So I listened to it and like kind of like what happened with Zed, something in that music just spoke to me. And it's this inexplicable moment that I've revisited time and time again. I'm like, why did that leave such a mark in my memory? Mm -hmm. And for, for whatever reason it did. And it's been like my dad and I, like our bonding thing that we shared together. We always go see him when he tours. And that's where my love for music really started. But for a very, very long time, it was really limited to just like John Mayer fandom. So <laughs> it didn't really start to grow until like I started paying more active attention to the radio around like 2012, which is when, you know, Clarity was out and playing right. that caught my ear, like long before though, I would ever get into like dance music formally. I would say that happened more around 2015. Yeah. So yeah, it really starts with John Mayer and my dad's musical influence. Oh my gosh. No such thing as maybe one of the greatest like soft rock songs of all time, honestly. Absolutely. That was one of my favorites for the longest time. And it remains one of my favorites to this day. I remember uh, I used to burn CDs. I feel mm -hmm. like I've been talking about my fiance a lot because I'm getting married very soon. So she's on my mind, but <laughs> I made her. Thank you. Yes. Very soon. Only about five weeks away, actually. But I remember making her a CD to like impress her making cds right I'm, I'm dating myself right now wow i'm really starting to feel old with shit like that i did it too <laughs> okay good yeah we're old folks together um i made her a cd first song on there was no such thing and i put like different deep cut coldplay songs on there we just went to go see coldplay uh mm -hmm. for the first time since literally before i had a license and i kind of had like a full circle moment with her where it was like wow like music is timeless music runs deep and i love that you brought up your dad because we've been talking about our parents a lot. The role that parents play young in your life with music is, I don't want to say crucial because crucial means like it's life or death, but it's so important and it's significant. My mom loved Bruce Springsteen. My dad loved the Bee Gees. And I think it helped make me who I am today, actually. And you've had that experience too, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those things where like when you're younger, some of us might dismiss our parents' music is like, oh, turn off like that oldie stuff. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> like I remember my dad used to play like the AM Gold CDs and the stuff again, come on. But then like you look back and it's like, wow, like you really get a lot of culture from your parents' musical like For inclinations, sure. like Depeche Mode. My mom was a huge Depeche Mode fan. And, like that's kind of why, like, I know who Depeche Mode is, you know? Yes, for sure. And you, both your parents are Polish? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They're, they, they love music for sure. I mean, that's like a core center of the Polish culture, isn't it? I believe so. I mean, I have to say like my family is really just like our immediate family. Like a lot of our like relatives, unfortunately, are like past or they sure. live very far away, but yeah. yeah, that's been a really big motif in my family, the whole musical connection. Yeah. It runs deep in your blood. Yeah. Oh man, that's so special. Amazing. I love to hear that. And um, family is so important with, with growing up and everything and the influence that they can have on you. I mean, it's just 
I feel like I'm really turning in my parents now though too like I know I know but you know what if you're gonna turn to somebody who like grew up in the beaches and whatnot you got you're turning into like you're going in a good direction Rachel you know what that's been most shocking to my dad is when he see me play and I'll play a disco record and he sees people go crazy and he's like mind blown he's yeah. like you're telling me that you can play a BG staying alive and these 20 some year old kids are dancing to it like I used to when I was in the 1970s and 80s I'm like can you believe it can you believe it wow he's probably like please invite me out to every show because to be able to relive like those like disco golden age moments again is has to be incredible for somebody yes. to experience like the original cultural moment for sure and it's so cool right now like as a fan and as a dj mm -hmm. because all these fusions are going around right now like rock and roll is getting incorporated into house music r&b is i mean disco and new types of disco literally new disco is being like reinvented again you see these trends going crazy on TikTok and it's like very tasteful remixes and edits and originals. And I mean, every day, I just feel like there's incredible songs coming out. It's just so much fun to be alive. I could not agree more. Disco never died. Let it yeah. be. Never died. And yeah, I really actually like what SG Lewis has done with like the disco house. Um, have you shown your dad the paradise edit of more than a, what is it? More than a woman. Of course. Yeah. Well, what do you mean, think of it? So we can talk about S.G. Lewis right now because I wanted to talk about him because I know you wrote that Times was the best record of 2021 and I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, I literally have his vinyl over here. I have a cassette signed by him like when he released the album. I became a super fan and yeah. I was lucky enough to meet him. I opened for Galantis right before the pandemic, the sh literally the weekend before and S.G. Lewis played both nights and I was lucky enough to get the local spot both nights. So I was hanging out with him both nights before I went on, after he went on, and he is the coolest fucking guy ever. We've been following each other, staying in touch, and people like that and his music just like have made me honestly obsessed with the music industry because someone like that is reachable and is passionate and makes music without boundaries like times, then I'm like, thank God I'm in this space because... And anyone can do anything. I agree. And that, first of all, that is an incredible way to like kind of end that pre-pandemic music yeah. period. Like absolutely incredible. And I'm really interested to see what he's going to do next because I'm, as I'm sure you've seen, he's been teasing like the next album that he's turning yeah. in soon. And I've got my eye on that. But yeah, I agree with you. And something that I've been continuously surprised about just throughout, you know, like my five plus years in the scene now on the editorial side is how many artists are responsive when you don't necessarily expect them to be yeah. like, I am pretty sure I reached out to him via DM, just like cold DM to him. Cause I found the dust dark dawn triptych. And I was like, wow, like this really speaks to me. And coincidentally, it was just around the time of like the times album rollout roll out beginning. And um, yeah. he responded and I was like, this is incredible. Like I didn't expect that. And one thing to lead to another. And, you know, we're talking in the setting of an interview for dancing yes. astronauts. So yeah, it kind of like, I don't want to say it restores faith because that presumes that it would have been lost, but like, it's sure. one of those things where just, it's like, this is why I'm in this, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And like you and I, he is a fan first and yeah. um, he is just a very special artist and I love what he's doing and I cannot wait to hear what's next. Like yeah. I listen to, I literally like the vinyl, I'll just put it on and just let it play and I'll just literally run it back and 
man, there's just like something to be said about the vinyl aspect of putting an album together and just like letting it run. And we're living in a singles age mostly. Yeah. Do you ever do that with Dust Dark Dawn? Do you have those on vinyl as well? No, I don't. I need to, but I do just play it. But the vinyl is like, there's something about it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I don't have like a, uh, I don't have a record player myself. I want to get one, mm. but I've heard it before on vinyl and I was just blown away. Yes. I like love the imperfection of vinyl, how like sometimes it'll scratch a little bit. It doesn't sound perfectly mixed and mastered. And um, man, it just like, I don't know, it, it kind of puts you in a time capsule for a little yeah. bit. It has a character and a warmth to it. Absolutely. And that was actually something I'm going to talk to you about in a little bit, but I do want to get a little more background on your experience in the journalism world. Um, obviously, we've been getting a lot of info on your experience and your intro to dance music, but I mean, you you got a master's from Rutgers in English. Like, you're a very smart, well-spoken person, obviously extremely hardworking. Um, I, in my research, I saw you started at Crust Nation in 2016, but what was going on before then? How did you actually end up at that point? Yeah, I mean, honestly, just by happenstance. So I was kind of like, I wanted to be an English professor. I was going to go get my English PhD. Like I had my whole life mapped out for me. And obviously <laughs> life had other plans for me. I did not go get my PhD. So I, thought, like, <laughs> I thought I was going to go do the whole like professor thing. Um, and I was just like in a creative writing course because I had an English major and, you know, concentration in part in creative writing. And they were like, oh, like write a celebrity profile that basically kind of subverts the idea of a celebrity profile and really like kind of vague open-ended instructions. And I was like, I'm not really sure what this means. <laughs> Marshmallow was blowing up at the time. So I just was like, I'm going to do a celebrity profile on him and his collaboration, excuse me, collaboration with Electric Family, because at the time you would have thought the angle would have been for a celebrity profile. Well, who is Marshmallow? Who's the man under the mask? Right. So I felt like that was subversive enough to work. Yeah. And I was trying to tweet it out, like get Marshmallow's attention. Didn't get his attention, but it did get Crust Nations. And I felt like at the time I was kind of just like floating in the context of the plan that I had laid out for myself for my future. And mm -hmm. this is a really welcome diversion from that, but yeah. also in addition to it, and it was a really interesting way of indulging my more creative side because within academia, it can be pretty stiff. Like you're working with a lot of theory and that's kind of where I was. I was a little bit free floating with a plan is what I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, famous, famous John Lennon quote is life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. And that sounds yeah. like exactly what happened to you. Exactly. Man, amazing. And <clears throat> that's just how it goes. Are you familiar with Danny Deal? Yes, I am actually. So Danny Deal, I covered something for the Grammys. It was like a, an artist camp that they did nice. across cities. It, I want to say it was like 2018 or 2019. And she was in it. And I've been following her ever since on Twitter. And I really like, you know, just her takes on the industry and especially the editorial. Yeah. endeavors. She's great. She's a very yeah. important person here in Chicago for many reasons. Um, I interviewed her, actually. You should check it out. Uh, it was an in-person interview, live interview. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was so great. And I was kind of asking her how she got into journalism and it was a very similar story right there. Like really happy accident. Yeah. It just kind of happens. You never know where someone's going to end up. Right. Like, I mean, it's crazy. Seriously. Sometimes when like you, you knew someone originally, or you found yourself somewhere and then that person's over here and then you're over there. And then all of a sudden you're like back together again, or just like, I don't know. It's just like wild to me sometimes. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's the epitome of serendipity. Yes. It is the epitome of serendipity. Yeah. The epitome of serendipity. That would be a sick track. <laughs> I like the sound of that. A good album name. Like yeah. SG. We're calling your name, yeah. man. You got to send this over to him. It sounds kind of SG-E-N. -E 
The epitome <laughs> of serendipity, man. I love that shit. That's what I would say. That was terrible British accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay. He's a good bloke. You know, he he is a good out. bloke. Nice, nice. That was very local of you. <laughs> yeah, work a little colloquialism, man. Oh, man. So at Crest Nation, you did about 500 articles, which is incredibly impressive. Obviously, gaining a lot of experience. Um, did you fear, feel yourself like getting better? How do you actually, as a writer, continue to improve your rhetoric, your interview style, your content? I mean, the whole nine yards. That's a great question. And I feel like that's a question that I've asked myself a lot because yeah. I think the answer is, I don't know. And like, I'm the type of person I'm like, well, I don't know is not really enough because you need sure. to understand that way you can better enrich, you know, your future skill set. Mm -hmm. And I think honestly, it really just comes down to something very simple. And it's just reading other people's work. Yeah. Like, what I do is I read other music journalists work that I, you know, look up to. And I have like, this is so nerdy. I have a Microsoft Excel sheet <laughs> and I will take any like phrase that I'm not familiar with, or that I really like. And like, I'll look it up if I'm not familiar with it. It, you know, this might be something like more technical just so I can develop a better understanding, or maybe it's a word I really like. And I'm like, that's got some like pomp and circumstance to it. I want to add that yeah. to my vocabulary. So just really carefully reading other people's work, analyzing what you like about it, and then seeing how it compares to your own style. That's been my best answer so far. It's what's worked for me. Yeah. And I think that the more that you read, um, you know, works from people who inspire you and who are in positions that you one day you would like to be in or you know commensurate or at a commensurate level mm -hmm. you ultimately adapt in a way that befits your own voice if that makes sense absolutely so really just consistency consistently read consistently write and honestly it kind of happens imperceptibly yeah i can totally relate to you with the podcasting like people ask me how have you gotten better how do you stay consistent yeah. I've just, you know, looked up to podcasters and journalists, honestly, and, and TV hosts, like it all kind of like floats around the same, you know, atmosphere sometimes. And I think honestly, you're in my atmosphere too. And I try and learn from people what they've done and who they've interviewed. And it goes back to the saying, nothing is original. Like no thought is completely original. You were influenced by something, whether you even really heard it or not, it could be subconscious. And that's when true originality comes, though, when it's you being original, you're not copying, you know, you want to say plagiarism, quote unquote. But I think that's really where like great ideas and, and fusions and like I said, originality comes from. So I, yeah. I resonate with that. No, I agree with that. I, I have a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, there's this John Mayer quote that I like, and mm -hmm. I'm going to butcher it. So I'll just paraphrase it. But <laughs> the sentiment is basically that in trying to imitate somebody else, you ultimately create something new because you will never be able to completely approximate what somebody else or replicates a better word, what somebody else creates. But in doing that, you kind of, it meshes what you're trying to do meshes with your own style mm -hmm. and it creates something new. And yes. maybe it's a little bit more of a hybrid. Maybe it's like 90% you, 10% like outside influence. And I've always liked that because I think it's really yeah. cool. Oh man, John Mayer, baby. <laughs> I need for an illusion, a John Mayer illusion, right? That was good. Yeah. He's too cool, man. God, oh, Jesus. Yeah, I just love the way his mind works. But you know, I think that what you do with the podcasting medium is really important for people, especially in the music journalism space, because you know it's true for artists too. Like for instance, I just recently watched a podcast that Katie Bain from Billboard guested mm -hmm. on, yeah. and I was able to kind of like get an inside look at how her process works. And what inspires her and like her tips for interviewing, because I'm always looking to improve in interviewing. I think it's something that's kind of amorphous and ever evolving. Yeah. And it's just, it offers kind of like this 
resource that doesn't ever expire. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there are not many people right now who are offering an inside look into their process. And it takes people like you to provide a platform for people to give that look. So I think it's incredibly important because, you know, it's not like you can go to a class and like really learn how to interview better in the music journalism or just music industry space to begin with. Totally. And if you want to, yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say, right? You, you can go to, you can't go to music industry school because the yeah. people that are teaching that probably aren't still in the music industry. And like, that was one of the main reasons I wanted to do this. Like it kind of started off as interviewing artists and I'm passionate about talking to people about what they're passionate about. So I was like, I'm having these conversations all the time. I might as well make it official and just record it and release it to the world. Yeah. And now when I talk to uh, festival promoters, talent buyers, journalists, other podcasters, influencers, whatever. It doesn't have to just be a DJ or producer, right? There is a whole entire like world out there that in the industry that people are the lifeblood. Like I said, right at the beginning, right? Like these people at the festivals who are running the pyro, who are doing stage, who are doing tour management, they like make the whole world go around and that's their passion. And I just think it's fun to talk to people like that. And, and that's yeah. why I'm just like, I'm having so much fun talking to you right now because it's obviously you, you love what you're doing. Yeah, and it's, it's absolutely the same for you too. Like you just feel somebody's passion and enthusiasm. And it's just one of those things that cannot be faked. It's, if it's authentic, it's authentic. Absolutely. Woo, real recognize real. You know what I'm saying? That's how we say it in the Midwest. <laughs> we see each other. <laughs> that's right, Rachel. Okay, awesome. Uh, okay, so we got to get into Dancing Astronaut a little bit. You've got an incredible resume right now. It's five years next month, by the way. Congrats. Thank you. It's honestly, it's surreal. The longest job I've ever held. I get a little bit bored. <laughs> I get a little bit bored with my jobs. I'm like, I'm getting to the one-year po- uh, point in my current full-time position. I'm like, oh man, I'm kind of bored. And I'm like, stop. Like you, you're coming up in five years a day. You can keep going, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. Thank Good you. Thank you. you. You've done so much great work. I mean, 2,200 news stories, track posts, album event, product reviews, Q&As, original features. You deserve some credit. So I want to take a second. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Good job. Thank you. Absolutely. And so there, I want to, I want, for those that don't know, I'm pretty sure everybody listening to this podcast has heard of Dancing Astronaut, but I want to read the mission statement. Dancing Astronaut is a media company built for global dance music community. It is an evolving platform supporting dance and electronic music culture. Boom. Love that. It's brand like, that's just a mission statement right there. Boom. God, I got fired up when I read that earlier. (laughs) It it, It is an evolving platform that supports dance, electronic music, and culture. Evolving, that's the word that I really want to point out there too, because I think this industry is evolving. And its brand represents dance music, manifestation of identity, community, and the global human connection. It is an editorial voice, a reflection of culture, and an independent content source. You've been a dancing astronaut for almost five years now. Tell me honestly, how true are those words? Oh, I would say 100%. Like when, I don't know who wrote that actually, now that you've read it. And I've read this so many times, like so yeah. many I actually would like to know who wrote that. So I'm going to get my homework for after this podcast, but no, I think that, that really resonates with me. Um, I just think that, especially what you said, evolving, that would have been key, a keyword that I would have pointed out too, because yeah. just being at DA for so long, being anywhere for so long, you really get to see how something evolves and you get even better than that. You get an intimate understanding of the reasons why something evolves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that that's absolutely an authentic portrait of what we do and who DA is at the end of the day. I love that. And Dancing Astronaut was, um, I believe it was the first uh, 
online dance like news source that I started finding new music and discovering artists and it's always hit home for me so it's really special to be talking to you now in the role you're in as managing editor. Thank you. I'm really happy to hear that. It's funny because like when I first started out, I was at Cross Nation and, you know, I had never had any experience in like curating editorial content. I was the only person there doing it for them. Mm -hmm. So I would look up to something like Dancing Astronaut. I was frequently yeah. looking at their website. I was like, what are they doing in terms of original content? What are, what type of news posts are they hitting and why? Mm -hmm. And so I have a similar experience as you. And like, when I hear people say, it's just, I don't know why it always, it never, like if it surprises me at the same time, point in time, it's like, it doesn't surprise me because I have the same experience, but <laughs> it just like touches me in a way because it speaks to that human connection part of the mission statement. Absolutely. The human connection. And, and that's what electronic dance music does for me, yeah. at least, is it like connects me to people all over the world. And I think DA does a great job of that. And so there's a lot of people that watch Sherman the Booth that are uh, up and comers, maybe trying to join the journalism world. So I want to talk more about the actual structure, how you guys actually function as a company. I'm interested in that. Um, so I guess like how many people work at Dancing Astronaut? Like how big of a company is it? It's this big, is a golden it? question. No. So, okay. This is actually something I'm glad that we're addressing because yeah. I don't think people have really any idea of how small DA is. No way. Yeah, I bet you everybody thinks it's hundred people at least. Oh yeah, people do. And it's funny because you, you know, we'll get these emails sometimes like nobody answers my emails. And it's just like, <laughs> it's like, I don't know how to tell you that like, you know, it really boils down to like five consistent people, wow. give or take five to eight consistent people. Like I, um, this hasn't been announced just yet, but by the time this episode comes out, like I am actually editor in chief of dancing astronaut now. So yeah, I'm excited to Whoa, share. Whoa, <laughs> I'm the first person to know right now. Congrats. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was served wow. as managing editor for two years, and we just recently internally decided that has to be communicated. But so Let's I share go, that. Girl. Fuck thank yeah. You. Thank you. So I share that with another editor, and then we have, you know, our social media manager. He is now managing editor, so he really oversees everything on editorial and social. So mm -hmm. the three of us combined with our partnerships manager, that makes four. And we really have, you know, three consistent staff writers. We have some contributors who, you know, sometimes they're contributing, sometimes they're not contributing. It's a little bit more of like a um, off and on type of process. But yeah, Dancing Astronaut is essentially run by like, five to eight people in any given month, the five are pretty consistent, but you know, sometimes the staff writers, like they're in college and like, they have to go into like their professional career. So it fluctuates, but it's very small and people don't realize that. Wow. Well, props to you guys. That's incredible. And that's, that's actually a reality of a lot of different, I mean, by definition, that's a small business with how many people yeah. are there. Right. But you guys are not a small business. And I know a lot of record labels out there, a lot of other news outlets. I mean, festivals right like i know a lot of uh, chicago event companies here that are like putting on major events i mean shows every weekend and it's literally less than 10 people yeah and i'm like i don't know how you guys do it yeah and honestly i don't know how we do it either <laughs> you do it so i don't know how we do it but yeah i think at the end of the day all it really takes is like you don't need 10 people like what if you just had five people who have like the passionate of like two people each you know right. for sure gosh, do you guys have like hours or like, how does that even work? It's, it's very like free form. So a lot of people mistake this as actually being my full-time job. And like, I call it my second full-time job, but okay. no, we don't really have hours. I mean, it's an East coast website. So we operate on East coast time. Okay. So we really should like be 
getting the posts up or communicating important information via social channels and the website really between the hours of nine to five, um, you know, standard news cycle hours. Yeah, but but, you're the music yeah. industry, baby. We don't function on the same time. Exactly. The music <laughs> industry is its own beast. So <laughs> you got an excuse. Don't worry. Yeah, I think um, some interesting trend that we noticed within the past year was for whatever reason, like Coachella, I think EDC Vegas, like they were dropping their lineups at like 8 p.m. Eastern time. And we were like eating dinner, scrambling to get those written in post. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, I guess that could make sense. People are like done with the night, maybe looking. I used to think it's 12 o'clock, but it depends. Yeah. I mean, everybody's definition is different because you got some night owls myself you know yeah for sure wow yeah. gosh okay so a question i'm curious about is is just a simple question how do you just guys decide on what to write on because you have so many different things you've done obviously while this is a relatively small industry there's still so many artists out there you want to be unique you know with dancing astronauts content what's that process like this is a great question because, and it's one for which like, I'll give you an answer today. And mm -hmm. ultimately that answer is going to look different probably in a couple of months because it's sure. always changing. And I think it needs to always be changing because if you're static, you're not accounting for any new emergent trends or mm -hmm. artists. So it really is an ever evolving process, but a lot of it just comes down to personal preference. Mm -hmm. So there's personal preference. And I would say that that really enters the frame in the context of like the up and coming artists. Like maybe I come across somebody on somebody's Instagram story. I'm like, who is that artist? And I do a little digging. I'm like, they sound great. Like, let's put them on. Wow. You know, somebody might pass me a press release. And it's actually what happened with Truth and Lies. I got passed a press release. And I was like, I really like what they're doing here. <laughs> yeah. Like we put them in our artist to watch series and it was a really great pick, you know? Yeah. So a lot of it is just like, we come across things. We've got like a discerning eye where we're looking for new artists to spotlight. Mm -hmm. Another part of it is like, there are the greats, like the Carl Coxes of the industry. They've got to be covered. Yeah. And another part, you know, you've got your Zads and your Lassos and like, everybody likes those, you know, so those filter into the mix too. So I would say there's a lot of different like channels, but personal preference. And of course, like just the hallowed greats, it's really a collision of those two groups. Yeah, for sure. That that's incredible. I mean, you do have to be adapting and reacting all the time. I mean, and especially in the world that we're living in now on social media and especially TikTok too. I mean, are you guys like watching TikTok trends and things like that? I feel like you have to be like all over the place. Yeah, no, we absolutely are. And I think that that's one of like the music journalists, like to be that, to play that role now, it's just such a dynamic thing. Like you got to be coming yeah. through Reddit. Like you got to be on TikTok looking yeah. like, it's just crazy. Like that's actually, I believe one of our writers found Iman Beck from TikTok, mm -hmm. yeah. him and our artist to watch roundup for 2022. And it's been really good. So yeah, it's, it requires you to have a finger in pretty much every single like social pie that there is <laughs> out there. <laughs> social yeah. pie. It's a lot, but I will say something that's also important too about Dancing Astronaut to understand is that like a lot of it is just the writers are really free to write whatever they want. Like we just ask them to pitch it to the editors to make sure like, you know, it's, it's good. And nine out of 10 times are saying yes. So a lot of it's just like, if they want to write something and they like it, they yeah. do it. So it, it's a really like, it's a big mix, eclectic mix of people's personal tastes reflected on the site. Absolutely. I love that. That was one of my next questions is like, I feel like it must be very difficult to write a, like a non-opinionated article about an artist that you're reviewing, right? I mean, your John Summit article was amazing, by the way. Thank you. Thank and you. I just like, I loved reading it because I feel like I was, I was almost reading like a biography, you know, like from your perspective, like, 
and it was so great. And I just love yeah. that. I feel like in, in dance music journalism, at least, it needs to be engaging. It needs to be passionate, right? It can't be the New York Times, which actually yeah. isn't isn't neutral, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Little known, little known uh, secret there. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, that's something that I really try to instill because I am a little bit of a stickler for like the grammar and like the style guide thing. Sure. Like I put the style guide together last year. I was like, objectivity, please, objectivity with the post. And like, I don't know, I think that there is a time and a place for subjectivity. Yes. Like if you're writing a review, you should be putting your own critical voice in there. Like that's your job. You are a musical critic. And that's what I tell our writers to think of themselves as like you are here and you have the authority to speak on a release in the context of an artist's catalog with authority. So exercise it, do it in a way that's tasteful. Like we're not here to disparage anybody, just like we're not here to, you know, hyper praise anybody, but that's the setting really for that. In my opinion, things like, um, track posts and news posts, I am of the opinion that those should lean objective, like context is King. That's what we really always say. I think one of the learning curves for a newer music journalist is learning how not to describe a track post (laughs) in such like praising terms, you know, like what I find myself saying this all the time. What you think is a stunning release is not a stunning release to somebody else. (laughs) You know, but if it's his, if it's the artist's second release of 2022, who's going to argue with that? That, wow, that's a really good point. And I, that was kind of like what I was trying to get at is like, as a fan, you guys are all fans of dance music. You're not just like hired a freelance guy, you know, off Craigslist to report Sherm's new track, right? Like you guys are fans and and whether you're, what about when you're not a fan of something and you're asked to report, what's that like? I mean, I think that that's the good mark of any, that's the mark of any good music journalist, right? Because you should be able to go out there think of yourself as a researcher. It's Mm -hmm. your job to learn about the release. Like, are there any interesting quotations about it? And then share the facts. Like, what is the story behind that release? And you have to release yourself from any sort of personal um, preference associated with that, whether it's like or dislike. And in this case, dislike. like, you know, I don't know. I think if you're a good writer, you can write enthusiastically about something that you don't like. For sure. Absolutely. Well said. I'm writing down notes here. I did actually, my Apple pencil, unfortunately ran out of battery or else I was going to, I was going to interview you like this, but I just want to show I have an Apple <laughs> pencil. Okay. If that's all right. You have a prop. <laughs> I have a prop. Yes. And Spider-Man made it today actually as well. I was uh, looking at that. Yeah. He's missing part of his foot, but that's from my childhood. I literally, I don't know why I put that over there. You ever just do something in your apartment and you like put something somewhere and you're like, what is that doing there? It just feels right though. It just feels right. I kind of like him here. I mean, yeah. I was like a little bit of an audience, Rachel. So <laughs> I mean, I think the vibe. does he have any specific significance to you personally, like from your childhood? Yes. He, so Spider-Man's my favorite Marvel character. And I don't know how much he played with like action figures, but he was the first one that I could like move all his limbs and his hands and stuff. Yeah. He's basically malleable. Look at yeah. that. He's, he's dabbing right now. It looks like, yeah. <laughs> Hey, Hey, look at my dab. But like the usual. Yeah, I don't know. He's always sat on my shelf wherever I'm at. So I guess he's kind of like my uh what's those little freaking Christmas things called again? Uh the elf on a shelf. Oh, elf on a shelf. (laughs) Spidey on a ledge for me. (laughs) Spidey at Sherm. Oh gosh. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) <laughs> you know what, Rachel? I like to have fun and I am a I am a humble guy and I like action figures and I'm a nerd and that's that we all have our vices right and that's a pretty good one pretty good one <laughs> you know what my problem is it's not even a problem I, I everything is sentimental to me it's it's 
I'm moving in with my fiance and she's telling me things I have to like throw out. I'm like, yeah, I'll throw it out. Like and put it in my sentimental box. <laughs> yes. I have like sentimental bins. So yes, I, geez, me I, too. yes, it's just like, but okay, here's my proposition for you. Get a storage unit and put them in there because like, okay, maybe like you're not going to do anything with it, but at least you're not throwing it away. That's too gut wrenching. Yeah. That's a good idea. Right. I'm like yeah. holding on to shirts that like don't even fit anymore just so I can maybe tell a story one time. What am I doing? Right. Like I'm insane. But I don't know, because my viewpoint is this, like one day, maybe the person that gave that to you is not going to be here anymore. And like, you're going to really wish you had that shirt. Right. Like that might be one of the last few tangible memories that you have. So right. I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. Cause I can. Damn. You yeah. You got a big heart. Right. We both have big hearts. I can't throw <laughs> anything away. Neither can you. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. It's like, yeah, that's a perfect way to putting it big heart. Oh man. I were, we were our heart on our sleeves too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Good way to live in my opinion. It is poor life. That's us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the mascots for it. That's right. That's right. Okay. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into, into DA and it's role in the dance music space, right? Mm -hmm. I did say it's a relatively small space and you do have a lot of competitors on a large and small scale. Yeah. What is DA trying to do differently compared to other dance music outlets? If I'm a fan of dance music, why would I go to Dancing Astronaut? I think that you would go to Dancing Astronaut. This is something I've thought a lot about. I think it's really for the depth of the coverage. Like, obviously, everybody is going to cover Martin Garrix's album rollout, right? right? Everybody right. pretty much got a track post up on Sentio. Right. But when he was in that, you know, pattern of releasing on every Tuesday and Friday for four weeks, which is like, eight singles, yeah. um, not many places were covering every single single. Mm. So you're going to go there for that. And I think it's also the level of detail, like something that Dancing Astronaut really excels at is covering the entire like legacy and like life cycle of a track from the ID stage mm -hmm. and everything that happens in between to official release. Yeah. So that's really the work of our um, now managing editor, Ross Goldenberg and Zach Salapia, who is our social media manager. Like we have this feature that they've been pulling together for the past years, uh, past two years called most anticipated or most needed IDs. They've changed the, they changed the name recently. Um, but you know, you can go on there and like, you can see where like a track was first premiered and it's ID stage um any type of like social media interaction but like on behalf of the artist who produced it that's been noteworthy so I think it's really the depth and the specificity that is a long answer but also um I think the emerging artists some, that's something that we've really put a premium on premium on in recent years we feature a lot of emergent artists on our social channels and in our new music Friday playlist, which is called Zenith. And it's a lot of our threads, honestly, because, you know, we each year we have our artists to watch series and it's basically all of us get together. We pick out the artists who are up and coming, who we want to feature on that list. And then we cover those artists like unremittingly the entire year. Wow. And then of course past that. So it's really like you want to come to us to see what's next. Yes. God, I love that. And I totally agree. I think when I first started visiting Dancing Astronaut, like I said, that's where I discovered a lot of new artists yeah. and on every level, honestly. And I do love the depth, you know, as someone that loves to read and is passionate about journalism and is just passionate about dance music. I do feel like it's not just some like casual, you know, write up. It's like yeah. a real and it's a real professional objectivity. Like you said earlier, I think you really put that perfectly. I think one thing that you've individually made an impact on is Supernova and Orbit Amplify, though. Dang. And I want to give you a lot of credit on Supernova. Obviously, we'll talk about Orbit Amplify, but Supernova is featuring 
uh, write-ups dedicated to vocalists. And I am so passionate about making sure that vocalists are known, are respected, because there's, I mean, like, there's a lot of them, but, like, well-known ones, it is really hard to make it. Like, Kalina Zanders is, like, to me, like, the shining example. So having her on my podcast was so powerful for many reasons, you know, being being a Black gay woman in the LGBTQ community, trying to make it in, like, the dance music world, which is, like, predominantly white, you know, like, she's got a lot up against her, but she's just so freaking cool and passionate and, like, talented and... To me, she should be the biggest artist in the world, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I follow her on Twitter. And like, I think that she has a really important voice right now because she calls out inequities when she sees them. And she's, it's really giving it um, the exposure it needs. Because like you said, like a lot of singer songwriters in the dance space, I don't know why, but they really just don't have like a lot of recognition that is warranted. And so their takes on inequities in the space often sometimes don't get that exposure either. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it can be really tough. I mean, when a lot of them are female, right? I'm sure you've experienced this or seen it at least. And, you know, I think it's so important. A lot of times they go uncredited. It can be very hard to make money. You look at someone like Karen Harding, um, who is, in my my opinion, is like a pillar of dance music vocalism. I mean, she is so talented. There's so many others. And I don't know. It's just like one of those things that I just wish could change overnight. But I think Supernova is a great way to start helping push things forward. And I really respect you for that. Thank you. Yeah. And it's actually funny that you say that because we've been in the, um, the pattern of alternating between like, you know, man, woman, and yeah. it's not limited to that gender binary, but that's just how it's worked yeah. out. Yeah. But um, yeah. So they are actually two people who I would like to have on it. Mm-hmm. So it was in a pretty regular production pattern, but like, you know, with all the other things, responsibility wise that come with DA, it kind of has been a little bit fewer and farther in between, but I appreciate that because really like my aim in terms of what I do at DA on a personal writing level is really to bring, um, I would say greater long form depth to the platform, because I think that that's something that you don't often see Mm -hmm. if you're not looking, if you're looking beyond billboard and spin, of course they're doing that, but it's not really something that you see among outlets of our size. And even the smaller sites, not to say they don't do it. It's just less common. Yeah. Well, I think you guys have a really dedicated fan base too. And I think you give these artists the platform that they deserve. So I wanted to commend you for that. Keep doing it. Thank you. I think it's really special. And Orbit Amplify is extremely incredible too. I mean, what an idea, what a move, a weekly playlist initiative tasks artists with creating 20 track playlists containing songs from black artists and other artists of color that inspire the curating artists. And people if people don't know this they need to know this like house music was born in the lgbtq community lgbtq community in chicago literally as a safe haven for people to go and dance and be themselves it's called house music because it was literally at this place called the warehouse and they played this type of music and that's where it started that's who made the music that's who actually created it and that's who like really was the forefront of it all and I just like got chills when I saw how you guys described it and the artists and the songs they pick. Cause obviously I'm like Mr. Chicago. I'm all about <laughs> like house music and like making sure like I'm on a mission to make sure like kids these days, listen to me. I keep, I keep sounding so old kids these days oh, know yeah. where house music came from. It's important though. And also you gain credibility. It's not dating yourself. It's exercising your credibility. Think of it like that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a nice way to put it. I love it. 
But yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And that's another thing where it's like, there's just been so many things. Cause like we're restructuring right now. We're really kind of reshaping the content vision and direction. So a lot has been really like in the forefront of priorities, but um, that's another thing I want to get back to. It's, I think it's really important. I think that when you have a platform, it is not just your choice. It's your responsibility to make sure that newer audiences who are looking to you know where that music came from, because, you know, with all due respect, like, and this is not a slight, like it didn't come from a lasso. It didn't come no. from like Martin Garrix. And like, those are still like the names that proliferate now. And so for anybody who's just getting in, like they might not understand where it comes from. So like, you need to have pieces like that. Mm-hmm. And also it's like, I love the fact that we're talking about this during pride month. Yes, absolutely. Completely. Yeah. I mean, in here in Chicago too, you know, there's this really legendary venue called smart bar. Mm-hmm. Um, where Derek Carter, who's one of the most iconic Chicago house DJs um, all overall, but still living too, he plays this event on Sunday nights called Queen, which is like legendary. And I've been, and it's like just people of all colors, kinds, shapes, whatever, you know? And it's just like literally the best music ever with the best DJ. And like, obviously I'm partial, but the best city in the world. And it's just like, I don't know, man. It's just like, so unique and I have just like really grown to respect the history of house music here and the role that well the situation I guess that, that the community the LGBTQ community was in um, especially black communities too like I mean I'm a white male from Indiana right like I have no room to talk but like you said I want to exercise my credibility and help play that music and spread that music and educate people on everything you know so I'm, I'm glad that you know we we're on the same page there yeah and that's incredible I'm glad that you're doing that like major pat on the back because it really does take it takes everybody to do a little something you know mm-hmm. what I mean like you don't have to be going and writing like a crazy long feature every single day or yeah. maybe like it doesn't have to be 100% of your set but as long <laughs> as you're doing something you know it, it has a further reach and I think people realize I always pay homage to Chicago house music yeah. every set like even if it's a remix or something so I don't know. I know a lot of other Chicago DJs here that do that too. And we're all trying to come together and, and spread the good word. It's a point of pride too. You're right there in the city. Like it's, it's just like, that's sure. supposed to be for that. It is. It's in our blood. We love it. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've mentioned this a few times, the, the digital age that we're living in these days. And I want to draw a parallel for you really quick, because when I was thinking about wanting to ask you today, like I said, I feel like we're in the same atmosphere. So I've interviewed a ton of DJs that started off in the vinyl age. Uh, going to the record store, searching for the best tracks to play. Literally, I interviewed these guys called Ghetto Blaster, one's from Chicago, one's from Detroit. Have you heard of them? I haven't. Got to check these guys out. Um, Paul was from Chicago. He worked at this record store. I think it was Gramophone Records, which is one of the OG record stores for Chicago house music. And records would come in and he would buy 37 of these records. So no other DJ could have them, right? And he would play it and you would have to cross out in dark marker the track so that other DJs couldn't come up to you to see what track you were playing in the club, right? Wow. They're carrying the crates. They're bringing their equipment. It's that raw, authentic feel we were talking about with the SG Lewis mm-hmm. album, right? Like these guys are like messing up because it's not on a ZDJ. There's no yeah. sync button people. There's no effects, filters, all that stuff. And they've transitioned into this digital age, right? With the state of the art, art equipment, all I have to do is show up with their headphones and a little tiny USB that holds 10,000 songs on it. And one thing that we've talked about is just like that tangible aspect of going to the record store and how much has changed. 
And the parallel I'm trying to draw for you is like, I'm thinking about the reporter back in the day with, you know, his, his pencil in the ear, writing down notes, right? Like going to the record store. And now today you're finding people on TikTok, you're cold DMing people to find out. I mean, what sort of things do you think you've learned knowing the past of journalism and where we're at now and where we're going? That's a great question. I think that one of the things that I'm continuing to learn is just the importance of investigative journalism. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's really timeless ultimately. But interestingly enough, it's something that we see less and less in terms of at least, you know, like the outlets in like the DA sphere and like basically this echelon, like obviously this commentary does not apply to somebody like Billboard or SPIM where like that's still pretty much their bread and butter. Right. Case in point, Billboard's Swedish House Mafia piece. But I think that something that's, you know, coming back as the investigative journalism aspect of it. And it's really supported by the digital age. Like you can cold DM somebody now to ask for a comment or to follow a trail of a story that's emerging, you know? Yeah. I don't think that people really realize that though. So it's one of those things. I would say that that's probably one of the bigger realizations I've had of late because we have a writer on our team who's like really embraced that. She um, really wants to work for the New Yorker, she said. And so she's really like boosting the investigative element of what we can do. And nice. I've just seen her cold DMing a lot, like emailing people. And it's really inspired me because that's one of those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And that's so cool. That like, that like opens up so many things for me. That's like, the, the shows that you see of like how to make a murder or whatever, right? Like people went out and found that shit, yeah. right? Like, and for the most part in this world we're living as an artist, you have got to put yourself out there, right? So like a lot of it is coming to you. And I feel like I'm so glad to hear that you're going out there to find it. And I, and I do that too on my end. I'm trying to play music that nobody else has played, whether I make it, I mash it up or I go deep on SoundCloud or wherever it is, right? Like, there's something to be said about great music that makes it on the mint playlist, you know, but like there's something to be said about the artists that may not have the monetary means to grow quickly. There's something to be said about a journalist who's going out there and trying to find the next big artist, whether it be investigative. I mean, there's a lot of things that go on. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, no, I was going to say, it's like akin to what you just said about, you know, getting the creative records so nobody else could have it. You're essentially going to get your creative records. That's your like news hook or like your, anonymous quotation like you want to make sure you get it you know somebody else doesn't <laughs> i know how crazy is that story yeah they, that, they... i mean that's wild i want to know how much those weigh oh so <laughs> you wait wait till you see what paul looks like he's a giant human being so he could probably carry a lot but um it's just like i've interviewed many many djs like that and i love asking them that because um a lot of them there's this one chicago dj here his name's dj metro he's a very yeah. very talented turntablist and he used to go to the record store with his dad and his older brother, who was a DJ. And it's like we were talking about with our parents, right? They'd go to the record store and their dad and their brother would give them the, give them the headphones to listen to. Yeah. And he'd be like, wow, yeah, right? And he still has all those records. And just seeing the energy that I was able to bring out of him by asking him just this simple question. And I even asked him much more simply than I asked you. And I just feel like, I don't know. I want to find a way to put the tangible aspect back into the music industry. And That's so interesting. I don't know how to do it, to be honest with you. I'm trying to think of ways, but I want the fans to have the connection to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think merchandise is a great way to do it. I see so many artists out there that are really unique um, and involving with their fans, sort of the, the inclusiveness as well, that anybody can do this. Mm-hmm. Anybody can be my fan. Anybody can meet me. And 
I don't know. I'm just like, I'm very passionate about trying to find out what that next level is. Literally making a physical connection between the music and the people. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never thought about it like that before. And I feel like there's, I don't know. I feel like there's no immediate answer that comes to mind, but I don't know. One of the things I might think of is just like, probably the records. I mean, that's enduring. Like, you know, in the past couple of years, obviously the sales have performed exceedingly well. Yeah. To people's surprise, I think Mm -hmm. that, and I mean, yeah, I think merch is another great, is another great aspect that you mentioned. I mean, it's interesting because with the whole rise of NFTs and especially like how they've really dominated, uh, you know, among dance artists, I don't know. I'm not confident that we'll ever really go back to something tangible, but if we do like it, I'm not either, but I feel like that they had something that like, I want to experience, I guess, you know? Yeah. I I mean, kind of when I think about it, I'm like jealous, you know, obviously like they laugh at me when I say that, you know, they're like, dude, I literally carried around milk crates of (laughs) records with me. I didn't have booth monitors. I didn't have nice headphones. You you show up Sherman, you got, you know, your nice headphones and all this, right? Like it's a different time, but like, I don't know. There's some, there's something about it to me that like they really earned it as DJs back in the day. And now you've got 15, 16 year olds that are bootlegging Ableton and making better tracks than me in six months, you know, and I'm just like sitting here in my interview chair, like, so you guys want to talk about vinyl? <laughs> <laughs> it's got character. But... It's got character. Yeah. You're like, like okay, dad, go listen to your Bee Gees record. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's so cool because in a, in a lot of ways, you're still putting pen to paper. Um, mm-hmm. And and I really respect that about you and, and music journalists and journalists in general, honestly, it's, it's a, it's, it's a doggy dog world and you got to be unique and you got to work harder than everybody else. I mean, I feel like all the rumors are true about journalists that they're just like grinders, hard workers, like never stopping and and always trying to, you know, tell the truth. Yeah. But I mean, I think that the same thing is true of DJs and slash producers, right? Like you and me, we're a lot more similar then maybe yeah. like the description of our day-to-day, might <laughs> sure. it, you know, yeah. and just like something I'm thinking too, like, I, I really resonate with what you said about like wanting to be able to experience that. Like they're probably laughing like, man, you got it made, but you know, I guess maybe the closest that we could ever come is, you know, how like DJs will put together unreleased music and they'll pass it out on like USB drives. Yes, yes. Random fans. Maybe that's the closest we'll ever get. Yeah, for but, sure. We're going to innovate though. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, start a movement. Let's go. Let's go, Rachel. Okay, <laughs> we're starting a movement today. I'm, I'm, you caught me early in the week. I'm feeling like my level's good. I'm caffeinated. So. It, is, it is Tuesday. Sometimes I really forget what day of the week it is. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> you and me both. I mean, I work from home now, so it's kind of just like repeating the same day over and yeah. over and over. You're in a time capsule. Yeah. I feel you on that. Jeez, I had I had to get the routine going with my day job. I was working at home and I was like, I gotta get out of my apartment because it's just like every day. As much as I love being at home, but I think yeah, yeah, you have to force yourself to go outside and like do something like one to two times a day. That's the golden answer I found so far. For sure, get outside, people. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Okay, so obviously you're an expert in the field. Where we're at right now in the state of the industry is really really interesting to me. Um, it's no secret that the rise of popular trends like house and tech house, deep progressive, uh, is bigger than ever artists like Chris, like Fisher, Peggy goo, lane eight, Nora impure, black coffee, blondish. They're bigger than ever, particularly in the United States. 
I can only express my own knowledge, right? Like in, in my field, but these artists are touring and, and playing big shows. Like these Fisher and Chris Lake shows are massive, right? Yeah. And obviously they're in larger metro areas, but like to back it up a little bit, I guess my simple question to you is like, why do you think house music is so big right now? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I think there's a couple of different elements that go into this. I think that a part of it is just the simple fact that live music programming resumed fairly recently. Yeah. House music is something that's become very palatable to a lot of people. And I think that we see that becoming palatable to a lot of people, yeah. specifically with like, think about like the piano house and like even like the pop house, mm-hmm. like hybrids that have been rising lately and kind of like pervading on the pervading into the radio space with increasing um, prevalence. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that I think it's happened so consistently over time that people are getting more used to it. And they don't think of it as like, some people are going to balk when you mention EDM, (laughs) but they don't think about it like that. And so they're a little bit more open to it, even if maybe something like, I don't know, hard style is not for them. So I think that that's part of it. I think also too, it's like, there have been a real, there's been a real rise in like the house and the tech house personality owed in large parts of social media. Like that's a great example of that. And I think the best example. Yeah. Yeah. Like West end too. And I think that it gives people, a lot of people flock to like the genre because they like the sense of community that it confers. Mm -hmm. And I think that having the opportunity to interact with these personalities on social media makes people feel like they're a part of something. They're getting something out of it. They feel seen and that keeps them coming back. So I think there's a lot of things that go into it, but those have been the two things top of my mind. What do you think? I completely agree. I think you've got a great point. I've asked this question a few times and I always like to ask it first because it kind of ends up framing my response. Oh, because you have a prepared response. Yeah, you never. I, I always like to go off the cuff with this. And what you said is pop music, right? I think a lot of people, let's call it the 99% of average fans, right? Don't realize that a lot of these big DJs and producers are credited on major studio albums. We bring up S.G. Lewis again. He co-produced some Dua Lipa tracks. That Lady Gaga album that was incredible was like like Madonna in 2022. I mean, I have that on vinyl. I'm proud of it, honestly. Uh, Chami and Axwell were credited on that. Yeah. Right? So you're seeing not only these pop artists recognize the dance music producers, but everyone's kind of seeing from the major label front all the way down to the little independent label it we're all just kind of coming to this cross sector where like we're all like hey you know what we're on the same team this house music this dance music stuff this true dance music stuff it really works and i think coming out of the pandemic um you know there's something to be said about the the true cultures of dubstep and rhythm and techno and stuff but like that's like an aggressive type of music which hey i mean I've got my vice. I know you love Yellow Claw. I've always loved Yellow Claw too. I will go to a Yellow Claw show and break my neck, right? And jump up and down. But I'm also getting older and I feel like the Avicii generation call us. Mm -hmm. We still love the music, but we can't do the three, four day heavy festivals anymore. I can go to a club. I can go to a day show that's eight or 10 hours of house music and it's palatable. Like you said, it's enjoyable. There's a social atmosphere that you can't get, you know, with house music, you can talk, you can walk around. I don't have to be front row to feel like I really need to enjoy it. And I think the DJs really get that, that like, it's not about me, right? Like it's sure, certainly the music that I'm playing. And then on the other hand too, why so many people have been brought into it 
is because of social media and also all these fusions that are going on right now, you know, repopulate Mars is a label that I really respect. Um, I've interviewed Case in the A&R and I talked to him a lot about like, how do you guys say unique? I mean, they're the number one selling Beatport on, number one selling label on Beatport. It's a very hard thing to continuously do. So they need to innovate. They need to honestly be unique and, and start trends. And this R&B, hip hop, 90s recreation stuff, People are talking shit about it. I am so glad that it's happening because it's bringing in the average music lover to say, oh, I like Sierra, you know? And you look at someone like Sid, this guy has adapted and reacted and, and literally has gone from like collabing with Cascade, which in my mind is like, does it get any bigger? Now he's like even bigger because he's like defined this new trend. And I, it's just like an exciting time in dance music, house music, especially. And just easy to like too you know simple answer yeah. I guess absolutely no I agree I mean like it's completely in opposition to something like dubstep like you said like it's easier to show it to people mm -hmm. and maybe they won't like it but I mean I think it's pretty hard to find somebody who can at least like nod their head to it you know yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to disavow house music yeah. but yeah no I think what you've said though about the um the recreation and like the sampling aspect is so fascinating because like exactly like Ciara like with um what side piece just did with Lee Foss it's like yeah one two step uh, yeah it's like a lot of people like something like that might gain traction not just because of who's involved with it but also because of like what it is like recalling mm -hmm. and then it's going to push it to somebody who might not necessarily like I said identify as somebody who's like dance music lover or even like a casual dance music listener really builds that rapport and like especially if they already love the song it's a gateway Absolutely, Rachel. And I can tell you confidently sitting here in this chair that if that song was released as an instrumental or maybe with an underground tech house vocal, it would not would not be doing as well as it is, you know? Yeah. And I think that I am in the boat of the more, the freaking merrier. Like I want more people to get involved. I want more people to feel comfortable. I can tell you from a DJ's perspective here in Chicago that I can play house music an entire set now and started off as a true open format dj having to play rap hip-hop pop top 40 maybe dropping one track one house track every 10 tracks mm -hmm. right and now it's what people want it's wild for me it's exciting yeah. and you know i think it comes with uh time obviously uh younger generations that's what they started off as so you know we listened to a lot of hip-hop and rap when we were growing up you know kanye 50 cent uh, TI, all that sort of stuff, right? And now that stuff's getting remixed. We're like, yo, all right, I remember this one. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and at the same time, it's nice to see this a little bit unrelated, but it's kind of nice to see like trap is kind of coming back a little yes. bit too. Like, love it. I know, I'm really happy about that. Yeah, me too. Oh my gosh, original Don Foster Domus remix. Yeah, I know I'm going to mispronounce this, but like Stokey Sound coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's cool. Stokey. I don't know actually. You know what? For their like return, their comeback marketing um, on social media, they had a bunch of people pronouncing it, like, <laughs> mispronouncing it, like video clips that were submitted, and then they pronounced it correctly. And I watched it in one ear, out the other. So I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go back. I'm like, how do you pronounce that? But yeah, no, it's interesting to see. Yeah. And another point too, like I just feel, I don't know if it's gonna be a trend because I feel like I'm just kind of starting to get attuned to this, but. I just feel like DJs and maybe it's not necessarily like the DJs and producers themselves. Maybe it's more the label or like the artist team, but I just think that there's a lot of attention to 
conversions of an original like dance track to a different genre. And a really good example of that is what would you do? They have that R&B mix that just came out with like Joel Corey. I think David Guedes on that too. I forget. But I listened to that. I was like, that's so interesting because that's a completely different audience. Like it's not really dance leaning. It's to me, I I think that's going to be something that we see a lot more of. Definitely. And and on the other side of that coin, you see someone like Calvin Harris, who really defined the EDM. I mean, feel so close. Does it get, does it get, it's up there, up there with levels, right? Yeah. Now this guy who's debatably one of the greatest musicians ever, in my opinion, yeah. Funk Waves volume two. I mean, this is totally different type of stuff, right? So when you see guys like that, that are innovating on top of his already next level types of creativity, what's that going to do? That's going to inspire the John summits of the world, right? Like, exactly. I mean, what we're going to see in the next 365 days from this moment is going to be wild. I know. And it's just so interesting too, because I feel like it's nothing new to have this like cross genre culture of collaboration, mm-hmm. but I just feel like there's buy-in at kind of an unprecedented level. I feel like people are not like, like Dua Lipa is always going to be a like a primarily pop artist. But I feel like, you know, she's working with Calvin Harris and like, yes, a lot of the productions are pop leaning, but just like, there's not like really such discrimination to who, in terms of who you're working with. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that used to kind of be an older idea. Like, oh, I'm, I can't work with this person because I'm this, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he's also someone that I, I can't wait for this album to come out because I need to see who's featured. I saw him doing an interview with Zane Lowe, who's actually probably my biggest idol, but um he's just talking about all these people that are like legends and like I feel like he's challenging himself creatively you you mentioned in the very beginning go outside going outside your comfort zone which is something that's very hard to do um within your own personal space but especially if you're an artist a successful artist to go away from what's working right that can that's like that's affecting your business potentially right so it's like finding that line of like honestly not giving a fuck and like still trying to get back to my fans dylan francis is a great example of this alesso mm-hmm. is a great example of this diplo is a great example of this these are major artists that said if you love me you'll love this next level you'll love this next step and i just hope that the dance music community continues to follow in those footsteps where it's like i love this artist for them and i want them yeah. to enjoy their process and i see that a lot more these days yeah, I mean, that is another great example of that too. Great but, example, yeah. Yeah, and I did, I'm actually very excited. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with like Z3, as it's mm-hmm. called, because I want to know what is going to, I don't know. I think that this is going to be a really pivotal project in terms of how people classify him. And, you know, whether we like it or not, listeners are going to classify an artist. Whether yeah, they, absolutely. They can't evade that. So I'm interested to see what happens there. But I like what you said about Calvin Harris. And I actually saw like, I read the transcript from that Zane Lowe interview and I thought it was interesting what he said, because tell me if I misinterpreted this, but it almost sounded like Calvin Harris didn't think that he measured up to some of the dance greats and that funk wave was his way of like getting that outlet where he could measure up. And I thought that that was fascinating to read that because objectively people like us, like Dana straight large does, we don't feel like that. (laughs) You're good, Calvin. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, I read that and I was kind of in disbelief. I was like, wow. Like you know, he said something, he had some quotation about how he like never really got there. Like he was basically kind of like playing around and like he had some records that did well, but like it was, that was interesting to see that he really thinks funk wave is like his foothold. Yeah. It's crazy. He, he yeah, you, you hit it right on the head. He was basically saying, he's such a funny guy too. Yeah. He was saying basically like funk waves was like, I didn't go all the way with it. 
you know, I was still kind of afraid to, you know, go back on what I was just saying, go all the way. And this time, no holds barred. This is music. This might not work at a festival or a club, but that doesn't matter. Like he's making music that he loves. And I think that's so important for any artist out there to know that what you're passionate about today, music wise, creativity wise, any creative, that's going to change. Like you don't know where your destination is going to be. I mean, I could say it again and again, it is about the journey. And the one thing you have to remember is don't forget your why every day. Why do I keep doing this? Because I love to make music because I love to write about up and coming artists because I love to interview people about what they're passionate about, who you interview, where you're doing it, whatever in in that spectrum, that's going to change. But deep down on the inside that can't. And somebody like Calvin Harris has always loved to make music. If you listen to his first album, it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's like him yeah. singing. He's like, you know, it's like, what is this? But you hear now a little bit of that and a little bit of feel so close and a yeah. little bit of under control, right? Like just spices, you know, not, not to the whole degree, but I just like love seeing artists like that truly evolve. And it's crazy. The weekend is another great example too. Oh, the weekend is a great example of that. Yeah, it really is interesting. I think that that's one of the nice thing, one of the nice things about being able to kind of like grow as a listener and like, you know, as somebody in our positions who is like a critic or like a conversationalist, like somebody who helps like make connections in the space yeah. to talk about music like this. It's just incredible to see like these artists grow and like their catalogs expand because you can make those kinds of like comparisons. You can hear the spice, you yeah. know? And I just think it's fascinating. Like it's such a great time in dance music right now. Like Odessa is putting out music in. Yeah. Horace is back. Like yeah. Martin Garrix, I'm pretty sure Sentio was his debut album. Zad's going to put a new album out. Swedish House Mafia. Like it's just insane. Smokers just put out an incredible album. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so happy that you said it was incredible because that was the contentious album. And I loved it too. What? I don't know why people hate them. They they literally are the hardest workers. Some of the most talented people. Yeah. They deserve all the credit, everything that's coming their way. No, I agree. But I just mean like the reception was, I feel pretty split. A lot of people didn't really like the indie, the indie like inclinations of the album. Like people wanted more of like the, you know, like the 2016 chain smokers, which is great. But like the new direction, you have to evolve. Yeah, absolutely. And that gives you the why, like you said. They understood that. Yeah. I think that they're a shining example of like, and they're going to continue to grow how they've their live shows, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that, like, the drummer, Matt, I can't remember his last name, but like, that's sick. That's fucking rock and roll, dude. You know, yeah. like, I love that. That's so cool. That's so much different. One of my favorite examples of like live house is kind of what I call it is like Gorgon City. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I saw them. That actually might be my favorite spot as a fan. I said on the beach by the water, the sun was going down and they had a live singer perform all their songs and they were playing live with a drummer, everybody was vibing. Anyone could enjoy that. Anyone could enjoy that. And it's, they were clearly having a blast too. So I don't know. I just moments like that and and music like that and artists that continue to evolve. I mean, that's the only way to put it. It's just like, it's amazing. It is. Where'd you see them? Uh, It's this festival. It's not around anymore. It's called Mandy on the beach. Mm -hmm. Um, It was on the South side of Chicago, but um, yeah, watching them blow up over the past five years has been crazy too. I mean, I just love watching artists blow up. Like it's, it makes you feel very connected to them yeah. no matter how big they get. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a perfect way of putting it. I love that you said that. You maintain yeah. that closeness. 
Yeah, for sure. And they have a great connection with their fans. And that's what I always try and do too. And that's why I always like in these interviews, bring up like people that truly are looking for feedback. And I mean, one fan at a time, Rachel, like it's been incredible the past year to see all these people reach out to me. Uh, the Truth and Lies interview, like you mentioned, a lot of people said that was so great. The most recent one with Anthony Atala, people talking about um, how he was just really being vulnerable about his relationship with nature, what it's really like to be in the music industry. And people are saying like, you, I've turned their mindset around, like they want to continue to pursue music. I'm like, yes, this is what I'm doing it for. And that's incredible too. Cause sometimes when you create, it can feel like you're just putting something out into a void. And like, sometimes like yeah. when you do it for the passion of it, just for the sheer love, like you do, like yeah. you kind of forget you have an audience. And that's one of those things where it's like, wow, like you're changing people's lives and perceptions. Like there's no higher honor than that really. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, the great dead mouse said it a long time ago. Like if my music only makes an impact on one person, then I've done my job. I've, I've done what I set out to do. Yeah. It really just comes, you know, people get lost sometimes in following counts, streaming counts. All you really need is like, you know, if your mission is pure, all you really need is one. That's right. <laughs> that up in a J and smoke that shit. Let's go. That was good. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Okay. Last question ended on uh, industry advice. What would be your simple piece of advice to anyone who is either trying to get involved on your side of the industry and what you've learned about the actual stage side? That's a great question. Yeah. I feel like I say this all the time. The best pieces of advice are the simplest. And what I would say is just ask, like whether you are currently affiliated with some type of outlet, whether you're working in PR, no matter where you might be in the industry, if you are already there, just ask for the opportunity that you're looking for. Worst case scenario is somebody says no, but you know, they might refer to you to somebody like who can help you get there. There have been times when, you know, we've had writers refer to, you know, refer to us and we take them in, like mentor them. We get them basically to the next place that they would like to be in the music industry, even if that's not editorial specifically. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're just kind of cold emailing, like never underestimate the power of a cold email, maybe nine out of 10 go unanswered. But like we said, all you really need is one, right? Mm -hmm. I would say it's kind of people can be their own. Um, people can say no to themselves before they ever give somebody else the opportunity to they kind of presume that it's always going to be a no, like with an opportunity. And I think that you need to just ask, like you can't be understated. Oh, I completely agree. Overstated rather. Yeah. You can only put it simply. I always say you're the only person in your way, right? Like no one's, no one's trying to stop you, right? Like just go out there and, and give it your best and have fun. Like, and, and I, I feel like from your perspective too, you've interviewed all these artists that have grown over the years and I mean, how happy are they, right? Like they're so proud, they're so grateful. And I think that's what it's all about. It's like making an impact and that impact being your fulfillment. Exactly. And it's just like, it's, you know, I just think it's a beautiful thing when you put yourself out there because you never really know what's going to happen. And sometimes the best things come out of just putting yourself out there. Rachel, yeah. <laughs> I'm, giving <laughs> I'm giving the life takeaways, but I, I mean, I just say that, like, that's my advice. Cause I've been thinking about this a lot. I was going to, you know, when I, when it's my five year, I'm going to give five like pieces of advice that have been really pivotal yeah. for me to this point, because like, I was just like, like I told you, I got into this by happenstance and that was, I think 
one of the most important pieces that I was recently reflecting on when I was thinking about those five things, like just asking, because I can't tell you how many times I've said to myself, this is not going to happen, but let me ask anyway. I ask and it happens. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, it's like, let me just pick my job off the floor. And so, you know, I think it's just important to say that. For sure. And we, and any person that you're asking that question to started where you're at and they are going to, they're going to respect that. Yeah. And I think it comes into play too, with like the emails that we get at dancing astronaut. Like I get like when people cold email us asking if there are any openings, I'm looking at that email. Like if you're cold sending like your um, music pitch, I'm looking at that email. Like I just wrote up um, a track post for a producer who is really talented and just cold email. I wrote him back and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And wow. he elated. So gosh, that's, that's yeah. a great story. I mean, that's, that's the simple piece of advice for any creators out there, people like you just got to put yourself out there and that can be really tough. And I think Rachel and I both respect that that is hard to do, but once you do, you become your true self. That's, that's how I always put it. Yeah. Let me ask you like a closing question for you. What's a tip that you would offer for somebody who's looking to improve their interview style or approach? Yeah. Um, I think you said a really good example earlier is listening to the experts Mm -hmm. and really analyzing how they're going about it. I think research is so important. When I go through these questions, I don't just have bullet points here. In fact, I kind of talk myself through it, how I want to ask you questions. I'm not writing all this stuff out, right? But I kind of frame it for myself so that I'm not getting jumbled in the moment. I'm feeling very prepared, you know, almost like I could ask you all these questions. I'm trying to think like what you might say. And that's why this podcast is so excited for me because I never know what you're going to say, you know, but I always try and really put myself in the moment while I'm doing my research. I really try and be diligent about that process and and going deep and not having to ask too many questions about that person. Um, I think that there's a mutual respect probably sitting here now, right? Like you can tell I definitely did my research. Yeah, you did your research. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's, that would be my advice is like, really take that seriously. Don't be lazy ever, ever. And it can be really easy to be lazy, especially when this isn't my full-time job. It's not your full-time job either, right? You, you could, you could just say, I'm a, I don't need to do it, but no, you have to hold yourself accountable in that regard. So that would be my piece of advice. Don't ever get lazy and really be serious about your research process. I think that that's great advice. And again, it's something that sounds extremely simple. Like people think, oh, just going yeah. to school. It's really so much more than just going cursory. So I'm glad that you said that. I think that's great advice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I hope I'm getting better at this 211 episodes in, but I'll tell you this, I still have so much more to learn and I'm trying to get better every interview with the pre, during and post-production. And I have a lot of big goals, but- one day at a time. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's all you can do is take it one day at a time, but I think you're a natural, like (laughs) amazing. And that's like the beauty of it, right? Like episode 211 is going to be so different in terms of flow and structure and like what you're anticipating in terms of response and your ability to anticipate than like episode one. And that's the nice thing about consistency. Oh man, you should listen to episode one. I, I did put out a five-year video recently Uh of like, thank you for everybody. And I think I shared the clip. It was that or the four-year and my tone in the first episode was like, I was just <laughs> afraid to be myself. I was trying to be cool. I'm like, hey, what's up, guys? This is Sherm. going to be doing interviews, you know, every two weeks. You didn't expect new episodes. Episode three, 
little more like this. Hey, what's up, guys? Sherm here. Really grateful for all the support. Episode 211. I'm like, put that in a pipe and smoke <laughs> it, Rachel, you know? <laughs> yeah, you got it's rolling off the tongue. It's slick. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, a lot of it is just like it goes, it's true for writing and for podcasting. It's finding your own voice. And like, it just takes consistent effort to find that. Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. This has been so much fun, Rachel. It's been great meeting you and great getting to know you. Genuinely means so much for you to come on. You're a very busy person. Congratulations on your new role, by the way. Thank you. You deserve that. And (laughs) I I want you to know, like, whether you know it or not, you are making a massive impact on the community as a whole. And that means a lot for me, uh, just as an artist, as a fan. And I want people to recognize that. Thank you. And so are you. And that really can't be like, discredited like an incredible impact like these are resources that people will come back to whether they're trying to learn or they're just interested to know like how things work behind the scenes so you are too and thank you so much for having me of course you're a superstar and my gosh I can't wait to meet you in person someday soon we got to set that up yes I mean come out to the mirage you and your fiance yeah let's do it (laughs) we we need we need a second chance there for sure yeah we got to redeem the the uh, the fake ticket thing Hell yeah. And hey, listen, Hoboken is the shit. So I might want to come over there and save a little bit yeah. of money. You know? <laughs> well, you won't be saving that much these days. I'll tell you that. What? Is it that expensive? <laughs> yeah, it's that expensive. Oh, it's no. Actually, it, it's like getting on getting to be commensurate with New York pricing now. <laughs> oh, no. To be oh, so God help us all. It's interesting, too, because... Um, you know, my friend was looking for an apartment here and she was like, there really is not anything available because she was going to move out and get her own apartment. And she's ultimately not doing it because it's just so competitive. You're going to have to pay a broker fee if you're really looking for a certain type of apartment. Like it's, it's gotten bad. Oh gosh. Come on. Yeah. Again. Wow. Well, okay. All right. Well, we'll figure it out then either way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, proximity to Mirage is worth the price. All right. That's fair. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks again, Rachel. You have a great night. It was so much Thank fun you. meeting you. And I can't wait to share this one with the people. Thank you.